We pray as human beings. We don't bring somebody else's humanity. We don't bring this plastic perfection. We don't bring angel nature. You know, we, we, we have human nature. That's all we got. God knows how he made us. And, you know, if he doesn't like it, that's his problem. Hey everyone, welcome to the Catholic Link Show. We pray that this time will be your link to living the faith like never before. And we are really excited to have Father Boniface on the show. Uh, one of our favorite interviews that we got to do. And so uh, he is back on the show to talk about prayer. And one of the cool things we got to do is we got to read his book um, on personal prayer. And then the Emmaus Academy has uh, a course that Father Boniface did uh, talking all about prayer. And both of those were so good and so fruitful. And so we want to share them with our listeners. So uh, Father Boniface, just welcome back to the show. Thanks. So nice to be with you. <laughs> all right. We're going to dive right in because we don't have a lot of time. And I want to uh, squeeze the juice out of every piece of knowledge <laughs> and wisdom that I can from this spiritual black belt that we have in front of us. Yes. Okay. Firstly, I, this sounds like a simple question, but I think it's actually really important as far as the why of prayers. Why do we even pray? You know, I hear if God is unchanging, we can't change his mind. So like, he's just going to do whatever he wants. So why, why do we even pray? So when, when you get asked that father, like, what do you say to someone of just why even pray? Yeah, well, it's already uh, presuming a certain context of uh, that's a bit utilitarian, I guess I would say. Um, why why are we setting out to to change God, or what are we trying to get out of it? Or and it, it's precisely the kind of thing we try to do in the personal prayer book. When I say we, I'll say that a number of times. Father Tom Acklin is my co-author, and uh, every time I'm thinking about those books, I'm thinking about we. Um, but uh, we tried to really frame prayer in something that's uh, uh, very immediate for all of us, which is human relationships. And uh, it's nice to have an interview with, with uh, two of you uh, who obviously have a relationship with each other. But all of those dynamics that you understand very well as a married couple, that's a, that's a very particular kind of relationship that's particularly uh, valuable for understanding our relationship with God. The, the difference, complementarity, fruitfulness, uh, intimacy, all of those things are go have their immediate analogy in our relationship with God. But um, that's, that's primarily what prayer is about, a relationship. Prayer is a relationship with God. And uh, as you said, we, we often, or you were implying, we often tend to frame that in a way that's sort of like, I'm trying to get something out of it, more like the divine vending machine or the divine slot machine, or, you know, like I'm trying to manipulate. And, and that's true of, of some of our power relationships, our relationships with power. We, so, so some of that can overflow into our uh, prayer life. And that's a, a really good thing to get into of, you know, what is my relationship with power? Do I see God as like, you know, sort of the government or something, and I'm trying to like get something out of him because he's this power over there somewhere that has all of this stuff over my life. And, and so those are, those are good things to look at in ourselves uh, of, of how I relate with power and how I view God. And, uh, and we, we have some, some different parts of us that can come out in, in prayer. And so uh, paying attention to that makes a big difference. Yeah. I, one of the things that stood out in the book was this concept of selfishness. Um, when I go into prayer how am I being selfish or self-focused? And this 
reality that that reflection, but in a relationship where there's somebody else that I ask a question and then they answer, and I at least have to pretend that I'm listening at the at the very <laughs> the very basis. But sometimes, in all honesty, um, but in like the relationship with God, even when there are times that I sit down with scripture and let's say I'm using Lexio Divina and I am feeling that a word is standing out, that I'm applying it to my own self and my own circumstance and my own problem that I want God to fix. Uh, in in some of that, um, how do you hmm, recommend or breaking out uh, away from the selfishness of prayer into more of a relationship that is is a relationship, um, yeah, away from that vending machine. <laughs> yeah. Well, the way that you just describe selfishness uh, in terms of I have things to say and I'm only half interested in what you have to say, <laughs> yeah. which is a particular kind of selfishness. Uh, it's, uh, there, there are other kinds. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and that's – in, in one sense, that's not a, it's a, it's a, it can be a very beautiful starting point. I mean, I, I have to think that in your relationship with each other, that there's uh, there are times that it's really important that you you have things to share and you really want to be received, and you feel what it's like to be received. So I think that's the that's the starting point of not necessarily that it needs to be symmetrical. Okay, God, you tell me what's all of the things on your heart, though that is a beautiful thing to do. But even that I share in a way that it matters to me that I'm being received and I can feel that I'm being received. I'm being loved in my vulnerability. Again, what you're sharing also uh, makes a difference. If you're just spinning in order to distract him while you know something else is going on in the background, that's a, that's a different kind of sharing than really pouring out your heart and your, your fears, your concerns, your loves, your dreams, your and, and when you feel that God actually cares about that and wants to receive that, well, that's a, that's a beautiful kind of relationship that we would have with a father. So that, that can be a very good starting point of, uh, of, of how we relate with God in prayer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think just focusing on, and, you know, everything that our, our religion does is, is kind of modeled off of this relationship with God. And, and when we when we forget that it's a relationship, then it becomes, um, especially, you know, one of, of fatherhood that, that Jesus talks about is it becomes a dictator. It be, or, you know, you, you kind of, um, you relate to God in, in some other ways. And a lot of them are, are off of our wounded heart. Um, but going back, like the, the rules of the Catholic church are, are based off of a relationship. They're, they're these frameworks that are help that help us have a healthy relationship, not only with the Lord, but, but with each other. Um, what, what would you say to, um, so prayer, prayer is a, a conversation or, or a, a dialogue and, and a relationship with the Lord, but what about someone who feels like they've never really met God? Because, um, it's, it's probably easier for someone, you know, I, I had a, a, my first really profound, I would say encounter with Christ was at a Steubenville high school conference and um, just radically changed my life. And I, I could feel a reality of that. There was this person, there was something there and I met him. And then that, that really dove me into finding out what this whole religion thing was about. Um, but what about someone who like hasn't had that real 
um, encounter, you know, are, are they, can, can they still pray? Should we try to help them reach this encounter? I mean, because then at some point, if you don't have an encounter with God, then it just kind of feels like you're talking to a, an invisible friend or, you know, you're just going through the motions. Does that make sense? Sometimes it feels like that anyway. <laughs> be honest. Um, well, you, you just shared very beautifully. If I, if I can just press into your experience a little bit, uh, the Steubenville Youth Conference was not the first time that you prayed. Sure. So did it matter that you prayed before that? Ooh. The value of your religion prior to the Steubenville Youth Conference. Yeah, I think, um, oh man, like a spiritual jujitsu back at me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that in, in reflecting on that and looking back, right? So I, did, I didn't grow up Catholic, but my brother and I did end up going to a Catholic school for grade school. And I think a lot of that kind of laid the groundwork. It, it almost like laid the foundation of the house and it was building this structure. And then all of a sudden one day I walked into that structure and I met, there was someone in there and I, and I had this encounter. So, um, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know if it would have been the same experience if I hadn't just had this kind of laying of, um, years of just kind of being you know around it and being familiar with it to where it opened up my heart to where i could have that encounter and i'm i'm just guessing you know uh you had some idea you probably could have answered some questions on the test about who god is and you yep. would have gotten those probably pretty accurate <laughs> um and and so that knowledge of him also matters he wasn't mm. a, an unknown entity and that yeah. Um, although you didn't know him in maybe the kind of deep way that broke open, it was uh, the, the belief finally kind of caught fire, but there was a belief to catch fire mm. in that particular moment. And so some of the work that I've been doing, um, well, I just uh, published, a, published anyway, completed a thesis for uh, my licentiate degree. And, and part of that work was, was sketching out what I call a grid for growth. And this could be a whole conversation itself. But if you think of uh, sort of three uh, lines horizontally, which are experience, habits, and knowledge, those are all different kind of dimensions of, of growth. And then also intertwined and, and relating to each of those on a vertical column, uh, prayer, so God, uh, community, like Christian community, and then mission, sharing the faith. And, and there's, a, there's a lot of overflowing in that, in that grid, but having the, the habit of some religious practice and having some knowledge, also having the whole communal dimension, even if it wasn't as explicitly, you experienced being loved before you experienced being loved by God. Uh, and so, so all of that is, is some of the framework in which that encounter takes place. And then there is something that's really important about experiences. There's a way that experience consolidates something that has been building and then breaks through to begin something new. And so we need experiences, but then, you know, of course, that needs to become more habitual, integrated into my flesh, into my nervous system. You know, it needs to become part of my life in a, in a real way. Uh, and, and so and then, and then that foundation of, of habit, of, of uh, integrated faith in this case, 
you know, has opens to, to more experiences that further breakthroughs and consolidation like that happen. So, um, so you're right. There is, you know, and, and we often talk about uh, uh, kind of the growth in faith, our, our arc of, of holiness. So where the landing point is the perfection of love. That's where holiness is the perfection of love. It's not sort of getting right it's not uh, knowing everything it's not whatever it's love is the measure because god is love to be uh, holy is to be like god to be really one with god who is love so so along that path of growth and holiness uh, we often talk about the purgative the illuminative and the unitive ways that's sort of the traditional breakdown that entrance into the purgative way uh, is is often an experience we call it a conversion experience sometimes even if someone has been practicing the faith, there's, a, there's often a definitive moment. This is what Sherry Waddell talks about as intentional discipleship. When I finally like, made a personal decision for myself and I knew what I was doing and I knew who I was committing to, and that, that often all goes together. Did I make the commitment before he met me? Did he meet me and then I made the commitment? How, what's, the, what's the interaction of freedom and grace? You know, these, are, these are all sort of mysterious spaces that we, that we get into. But uh, what you're identifying is there's a there is a significant shift that happens in those moments of encounter. What I'm saying is, and what Sherry Waddell also talks about is, there's a whole initial thresholds of conversion. There's a whole kind of you know, pre-evangelization. You know, there's a pre-encounter uh, foundation, and and the prayers are meaningful. So, I, just to share a little bit of my personal story, you know, from basically. I, I had a lot of really beautiful human relationships, that community dimension, not Christian community per se, but really loving relationships. I mean, uh, those things were really important and, and uh, I was well loved and there was a good matrix for this, uh, the encounter to take place. But total stranger invited me to study the Bible with him. Uh, his relationship with me was very formative. Uh, eventually I came to a place of belief. So that was the first stage for me was to, I could answer questions, I could understand the concepts, but there was a point at which reading the prologue of the Gospel of John, I believed this was the truth. I wouldn't say that I had, well, so I clearly had an encounter with God, but it was not personal. Like, I didn't even know what that was. I mean, I like that even a category for me, but, but there was a real grace and there was a real belief. It was almost a year later that in a moment of uh, a moment, a period of more personal weakness, experiencing my own limitations, I cried out from my heart in a fuller way, and uh, and then I would say I had I, I I heard God, you know, interiorly. I encountered Him in a way that I knew that I was loved and He was present. Um, but but I prayed in the meantime, you know, I said prayers. I understood, and it was all spontaneous prayer too. You know, I was this is sort of an evangelical setting. I'm. But, but even spontaneous prayer has a structure, you know, dear heavenly father, and then certain things that fit together and make sense and in Jesus name, you know, so there's a kind of structure, even if it's, I'm making up the words, I'm not repeating somebody else's words. So, uh, so I said a lot of prayers before I really personally knew the one that I was praying. I knew about him, I could describe him. I had a lot of knowledge of the Bible more and more at that point, but, but to really know him. So so yeah, all of that is valuable. You know, we, we do all of that and we, we have to be where we are. We can't just sort of like wait until we're somewhere else. You know, we only get somewhere else by continuing to grow where we are. And we could probably reframe these in, in relational 
you know, the analogy of human relationships too, that I can work with somebody, I can know somebody, I can interact with somebody, but then there are moments of vulnerability and intimacy that take you to a new place of encounter with that person. And that changes the relationship in, in a significant, a structural way. Uh, so, but all of that is, is part of the relationship. I, I like that breakout. I will often say that God had to win my mind before he could win my heart. Like my heart desperately needed him, but intellectually I had to know that this was a viable course due to my own atheistic, atheist background. Uh, and so just this idea of that foundation was a way that the Lord came in and then allowed for that encounter, allowed for that belief and allowed for that relationship to build off of. I definitely hear truth for my own story. Um, hmm. Slightly different, although definitely two big chapters, definitely parts of uh, the, the Emmaus Academy talks. I, with that background of some atheism, some disbelief in God, um, God being silent, God being hidden, um, Mm, your words were very powerful for me uh, in a season that for the last year, God has not answered a prayer and it ha and he has at times, um, but there has been pain physically and there have been reprieve from that. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. And then it comes back and there, there's just this, um, Lord, where are you? And that challenge to know that he loves me in the silence, um, in the unanswered, in the lack of healing, in the lack of prophetic word, in the, you know, all the things that I'm supposed to be getting out of this relationship. Um, <laughs> oh, and like how, how silly that sounds. Um, I think I laughed out loud at times uh, in, in reading, but the, um, I don't know, if you can share some of that, it was so important and so powerful to my own prayer. Um, that for those listening, I want them to, to also know that God loves them, even yeah, if he feels right. far. Yeah. Yeah, I think there are uh, a couple of aspects to that, uh, that silence. We, we put a lot of things under the, the single word of silence. Uh, I'm actually in the process of writing another book on praying the silence of the Mass. I think there are some other some movements of silence in the Mass that to capture these big movements of silence in the relationship. Um, but to, to break down two simple things, one is we work towards silence because we're noisy, you know, and we need to create space for him. And a lot of times we can't sort of force that to happen, waiting, being patient with ourselves, letting things settle. I, I like to use the image of a snow globe, you know, there's uh, little guys that you shake up, it's got a little scene in there and little snowflakes and like, you can't get the snow to fall to the bottom faster. You just have to hold the thing still. If you keep shaking it, it's going to get worse, but if you can hold it still, that stuff will settle and then you can see the scene in there clearly. And so there's some of that kind of what I would call aesthetical silence where I have to just deny myself a little bit, settle myself a little bit, let things, you know, when I don't have to follow every or sometimes people will say a lot of trains come into the station you don't need to get on all of them like let the things pass through 
So there's a certain amount of discipline that, which also helps with having a bit of time for prayer. You know, people ask, do I need how much time, what time? And well, some part of it is just giving it enough time that things can settle so that we can be in a place even of receptivity of connection, that all of my own busyness can come down to the point that I can actually interact a bit. But then when I'm, I'm there with him, you know, a couple of things happen, but they're, uh, so in, in human silence, silence is ambiguous. Uh, sometimes people distance themselves from us. They hide themselves from us. They shut themselves down. Sometimes we call that the silent treatment. It's really passive aggression and, and it's closing someone out behind a wall of silence. We don't, you know, when we experience God's silence, we don't, we don't know. <laughs> and, and we're used to the human analogy, the human relationships, and then we don't, we don't know. And it's coming to trust. And, and that happens in human relationships too. Why isn't she calling me back? Why isn't she texting me back? Why didn't she reply to this thing? We have to grow in trust for a person. And then we start to realize uh, there's, others, there's something else going on. She's processing. She's understanding in a different way, you know. In a human context, uh, God, likewise, we say, well, there's, there's a good reason for it. I don't know what it is, but I know it doesn't mean that he doesn't love me. That's not one of the options. But we have to grow in that trust, and that trust grows over time. And what is God doing through the silence? He's always doing something, you know, and a lot of times he's drawing us deeper. Sometimes, just like we talked about that significant transition kind of into the spiritual life with a personal encounter, sometimes there are sig some significant transitions uh, deeper, and uh, this is my what I call the uh, growth in the spiritual life through try, fail, surrender. That's the basic mode is I have to keep running into the limits. I'm always tempted to like try to control the thing. Like I want it to behave the way I want it to behave. And so, and God lets us, you know, just like you let your children run your house to a certain degree, right? You know, it's like, well, all things being equal, I mean, I'm not going to, I can't control them. Let them feel like they're in charge. I, I never try to control anything. Never. Yeah, never. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not completely true. Or you're running mad right now and uh, you're losing your mind. But, but you know, you know the flex and, you know, mm -hmm. and at certain stages, then you, you kind of hold some things back and you, you know, you, you, are, are helping them to shape their energy. And God does this too. He, he wants us to, he always wants to move us into a place of deeper trust and deeper faith. And so at certain times he appears to, he feels like he's not responding the way that he used to. Um, you, you mentioned uh, Lexio Divina, praying with scripture, and maybe you get into a nice mode of that. You're used to opening the Bible especially when we're new to these things and faith is alive and it's fresh. It's like every word there. And, you know, we've been hearing this our whole life. And suddenly when I read it this time, it's like every time I open the Bible, it's just rich with meaning. And, and we get kind of, we get excited about that, rightly so. Well, God wants to draw us to a deeper place where he's going to take that a deeper level. There's always a little bit of a growing pain in there. And it feels like silence. So that's one of the modes of silence that we can run into where God is bringing us to a deeper faith. John of the Cross uses the imagery of nights. And he uses that because our primary sense organ is our sight. And we're used to navigating by sight. And we like that and we get you know, used to that. And, and then God wants to help us navigate a different way. For example, he wants us to learn that we can reach out a hand 
and he'll take our hand and he'll lead us like a blind man. Well, that's super vulnerable. Is he going to come? Is he going to leave me here? Can I really trust him? And he wants us to know that we can and he will and he'll be faithful. But we have to tr stop trying to seek so hard then if we're going to start to reach out a hand. Otherwise, our hands stay closed up and we try to stay in control using the thing that we're used to, our sight. And so in those places of transition, it's where God is drawing us into a deeper intimacy, a deeper trust in him. He's leading us. He's teaching us that we can learn to go by another way. And that becomes a, you know, a steady transition in our, in our prayer life. And uh, the way that we learn to know him, the way that we trust. And, and generally, prayer becomes more and more simple over time. Prayer is always simplifying. My relationship with him always becomes more simple. And so the fireworks, the richness, the, all of that stuff that's there at the beginning, which is beautiful, is just he's trying to draw us into a place of deeper trust and deeper intimacy. So um, that's another you know, aspect of, of, of silence. And then just to, to say a third one it, it, is kind of related to that, which is this silence of, of intimacy where more words would spoil the moment. And, and so I, I learned to rest in it. I don't, and, and some of that is, you know, sometimes I have to hold myself back a little bit because, I, you know, think about a human relationship where you've just come to a beautiful place. And then suddenly when we feel vulnerable, even in connection, sometimes we're trying to say something. Well, um, how is this for you? Are you doing well? Are you doing okay? <laughs> and, and that kind of, you know, I mean, anyway, it's fine, but, but. It's even more sweet when we can really rest in it and say, I feel really vulnerable uh, and I really love this person and I'm going to trust that he, she also feels really vulnerable and I can stay there. And that's what God does with us in silence too is, and we just, just be with him. Just trust that it's okay. I don't need to capture it. I don't need to figure out how to repeat it. I don't need to control it. I don't need to get something out of it. I don't need to tap him for, you know, whatever, winning the lottery or something now. I just need to rest in his love. And so he teaches us to do that as well. So those are a couple of different aspects of, uh, of silence that we run into in prayer. Man, so good. I, I was thinking about what you said about prayer becoming more simple. And uh, as a fighter pilot, you can imagine that uh, I like checklists. I like, um, I do an input and I get an output. Uh, and, uh, and so I, and, and I'm an achiever, right? Like I, I get stuff done. And so I think that that can be very helpful in the beginning stages of faith where you're like, I set up habits, I have routines, like I, you know, I, I, I built a community. Yeah, like I, I, yeah, I'm very good at that stuff. What I'm not so good at is, okay, at, at some point, um, it's healthy for that to transition from a very utilitarian uh, mindset to, okay, I, I need to do less doing and more being. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking about this recently. I've, I've For the longest time, I've kept a prayer journal. Um, and it, it's not anything um, crazy. It's just as I pray, if there's a line that sticks out, I'll write that down. Or if there's something you know, on my heart, I'll, I'll just make a little note. Um, and I can come back to it. But recently, I, I haven't been writing in my prayer journal um, because I've just been trying to be with the Lord and, and to, you know, just take this one step of like surrender in a way. But um, 
But what I feel when I do that sometimes is that I'm being lazy or I let things slide or, you know, like the habits when I, when I'm not on top of the habits, then, then I don't always pray for as long as I should, or sometimes I miss it, or sometimes I fall asleep. So I I guess, could you um, just talk about this, the concept of like an active receptivity, which is a really difficult concept to understand because um, if I'm too much on the active side, then, then I'm like, I'm getting myself to heaven and that's not the answer. But if I'm like too much on the passive side, then I don't do anything and I'm just lazy. (laughs) Can can you talk to that? Yeah. And, uh, you just described, you, you gave me a lot of uh, things to work with there. which is really beautiful. You know, you're, you're, you're identifying or observing your own uniqueness and your own humanity, which is important. We, uh, one of the things we, we try to emphasize in the book is, you know, we, we pray as human beings. We don't bring somebody else's humanity. We don't bring this plastic perfection. We don't bring angel nature. You know, we, we, we have human nature. That's all we got. And so God knows what, how he made us. And, you know, if he doesn't like it, that's his problem. It's uh, so... You know, so uh, people are on a spectrum in terms of uh, discipline and checklists, being able to do those things. And, and you have that. That's great. So we just never want to make an idol out of these things. That's probably the, the simplest way to say it. So I, even as we came into this conversation, you said, well, we, we put out a bunch of questions. Um, and, and to your credit, you're not like stuck on those questions. It's not got to get through all seven of them. <laughs> <laughs> We skipped it, four. Was, yeah, right. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, so so good for the preparation. Good that you have those things. You know, uh, that's. The, but then a flexibility to allow things to move relationally. Uh, that it really allows because it, prayer is always an encounter of two freedoms. You're free, and God is free. So He doesn't have to abide by your checklist. Um, that's sure? not to say he doesn't like them. You know, I like them and he likes them. We, we like the checklist. It's fine. Yeah. You know, but, um, but, but he doesn't have to, if, if he, if he had to do your checklist, then he wouldn't be free. And then it wouldn't be a relationship and there wouldn't be love. There, there has to be freedom to be loved, but to be loved. But, um, but again, the, you bring your humanity. Other people couldn't make a checklist that their life depended on it. And, and they're not required to, you know, it's like, that's fine. We, we work with that too. But, but then also, you know, relationships, our values get invested into checklists and habits. So you, now you don't get to the end of the day and say, well, you know, my wife has this checklist for me and I checked all the boxes and therefore our relationship is good. That's not what makes your relationship good. On the other hand, if you didn't have any values that included your wife, like if she, if there were no kind of at least mental checklist or a set of habits or ways that you show up or consistency and prioritizing, well, I'd have to ask how your marriage is. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, then that's a that's an issue too. So, uh, you know, I think uh, those that's some of the space that we're that we're working in. We we want. You know, we bring something, we bring ourselves, and part of the way we bring ourselves is our priorities. And part of the way we express our priorities is by, you know, some mental list, if not concrete list of habits. Uh, but then I don't make an idol out of those things. The habits, the list, that's not the relationship. That's in the service of the relationship. 
And a little bit like you said before, you know, the rules, um, they're, they're about a relationship. They're in the service of the relationship. So, well, I'll stack one more thing on just to, to mention it. It was a little revelation I had actually when I was talking with Jeff Cavins for his uh, thing. But, uh, you know, the revelation of the law, so what Moses is given on Mount Sinai is an approximation of the heart of God. Right. What God is giving him is not, the Ten Commandments are not a bunch of rules. The Ten Commandments are the description of how to love. And that's the heart of God. Now, I say it's an approximation because the full expression is in Christ. And everything is summarized in the New Commandment. Love as I love you. But we couldn't do that before we had him. So we get an approximation. The Ten Commandments are an approximation. But they're an approximation of the heart of love and the service of a relationship. And, and, and governing of all relationships, at least the starting point. Now, all of that goes deeper in intimacy, vulnerability, self-offering, receptivity and surrender and compassion, acceptance. You know, all of that goes deeper to the cross, you know, the, to love as Christ loves. But, but anyway, all of those things. So the, the relationships, the, the checklists, the, the, the concrete prayers, I mean, that's to make that we lived in the land of checklists there. You know, I got my rosary. I have my divine mercy chaplet. I say my office. I, you know, I have my list of prayer intentions. I've got, you know, all of these things. Again, great. That's, that's a sign of where your priorities are. That's a, that's a way of connecting, but we don't worship the list. We worship God with the list. That's a starting point. And we also let God take us off the list. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of the right balance. Yeah. I, I really like that part of the book when you talk about um, just praying with with our humanity, and that's all we have. And I, I feel recently I've just been um, pushed a lot to our limit. We've got four little kids um, working full time job ministry, like, and sometimes at the end of the day, I sit down to pray, and I'm like, "This is all I got, Lord. Like, this is all I have. It's, you know, a couple loaves and a few fishes, and like, that's all I got." Um, and I, I think just recently that God has been just kind of smiling on that, um, you know, and instead of me coming with my, you know, with the checklist or with the, here's all the things I've done today. And it's just like, no, he just, he just wants me. Um, and I think that's really beautiful. And then the second thing I'll say beforehand, it, we're laughing because we both want to say there's so many good stuff there. Um, the other thing I'll say is that, um, as you're talking like the revelation in the old Testament of, of the Lord's heart, I think it, it. Um, plays into kind of what we were talking about of the pre-evangelization, right? Like our um, our salvation mirrors a lot of times salvation history. And like the world wasn't ready to meet Christ yet. And so God took them on this path of here's a, a little bit of my heart. Here's some steps or some rules or some knowledge that that you can have like to prepare them to meet Christ. And when I look back at my life, like that was a lot of it. Like I don't, I wasn't ready to, to encounter the person of Christ yet. So the Lord had to lay this kind of groundwork, these rules, these 10 commandments, mm -hmm. um, you know, before I could see or, and meet the, the full revelation of that, which was Jesus. Mm, yes. Ah, oh. hmm. When, ah, oh, Father, I, when you see that and see that, 
that groundwork has been built. I think one of the gifts of Benedictine spirituality, although I have many questions on Benedictine spirituality, uh, because you quote all of them, yeah. like <laughs> Ignatius, Carmelite, like I'm, I'm like, we, what is, I, yes, um, maybe I want some background there, but the <laughs> the reality of your love for the liturgy as well, um, and we've had these encounters. We have our personal prayer, but we also are invited into this vulnerability in the mass. And I think some of uh, just the gift of reading and listening to you speak on that. Um, yeah, I would love for you to dive into praying the liturgy better. It sounds like you're writing a whole book, so maybe we'll have a whole <laughs> conversation in the future, but a little teaser right now. <laughs> Well, yeah, thanks for, for bringing me into that. I um, Just to say a, a word about the personal prayer book, and then everything I'm saying about that, of course, applies to the Emmaus Academy uh, videos. It's more or less the same structure. I tried to touch on some of the same uh, points there, of course. But uh, we uh, so we spend about six chapters just describing these kinds of dynamics of prayer. Human, vulnerable, we run into silence from God, we run into our own poverty, limitations, littleness, you know, these, uh, the acts of faith, things like that, just trying to shape all, catch all of those different dynamics that are part of the real experience of prayer. We're, Father Tom and I are, are both give a lot of spiritual direction. So we're living in other people's hearts and experiences of prayer a lot. And, and, you know, we also live in the Catholic spiritual tradition and read a lot of things. And so, but trying to express John of the Cross in terms of the language of your heart is uh you know what we're striving for there and uh so after those six chapters of different kind of dynamics of prayer then we go into some concrete settings uh, the, the most important of course as you mentioned is the mass and then we also look at eucharistic adoration lexio divina um, look at charismatic prayer different devotions marian devotions uh, so some different settings in which how do these dynamics play out in those settings uh, you might think, well, ma mass is this thing that you show up at. You know, the the priest does his thing, the people do their thing. We do the thing, and then that it's done, and then we go home and we do something else. Uh, and there's a certain truth to that. We are worshiping. How do we worship through words and gestures? Which words and gestures? The one that the ones that God has modeled and that the church has discerned and and formed uh, organically and authoritatively into liturgy. And that's the way that we worship. And we need these kinds of things to worship together. And we are uh, doing as Christ told us. And then we're also holding him as the highest worth, which is where worship comes from, worthship. So uh, that's all important in itself, the objective reality of what we are doing. And But then how can I personally enter into that? And what's my personal prayer? What's my interior participation? Where's my heart in that? Uh, and so in the personal prayer book, we, we try to take up that uh, line of, of exploration. And a lot of the same kinds of things that we, it's human, it's vulnerable. We run into our poverty, our limitations, littleness. We run into God's silence. Uh, you know, so we're hitting a lot of those same dynamics. How do those unfold in the context of the mass? Well, just to say uh, it gets boring, <laughs> I get tired, I'm hot and distracted, okay? That's real, and we are all there. 
at different times, maybe most of the time. Children are running around, we can't pay attention. Well, what can I do? Well, enter in now. You caught yourself or you were aware of yourself not paying attention, getting distracted by something. Don't worry about why you're always distracted and how you're going to get, don't formulate strategic plans about how this is never going to happen again, because that's a waste of time. Enter into it. Just enter in right there. Listen right there. What's the word that's coming right then? What's the prayer that's happening right then? What's the movement of the mass that's happening right then? Enter into that. Pour yourself into that. And that's the kind of thing we do in any conversation. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you've got distracted once or twice since we've been talking and you, your mind wandered. You're trying to think of a question and then what did Father just say? And then you just tap back into it. Start there. You know, if we just waste time getting distracted by our distractions, that's not super helpful. Uh, so, so that's one uh, dimension. Just begin again, start again, pay attention again, enter in again, start now. And then also just there are little ways that we can allow our hearts that the goal is vulnerability. Uh, Christ is radically vulnerable in giving his whole self, renewing the gift of himself. How can I also enter into that, meet him in my own vulnerability? And, and that's where uh, I, I connect with vulnerability together with littleness. You know, there's a, there's a little boy in me who is like amazed at what's happening at Mass. I'm just like, this is amazing. What's this? Heaven. Heaven is here. Jesus is here. What's <laughs> happening? Exactly. Guys. You know, I can tap into that in myself and, and find that little boy and, and let him be present there. And, and uh, or I can be there, you know, in this kind of like analytical framework where I'm just judging everything that's happening. OK, well, that's not super helpful. <laughs> so how can I how can I tap into vulnerable parts of myself? How can I tap into little parts of myself that uh, that can be in awe and wonder that can make a gift to Jesus? Also, you know, kind of spousal intimacy can be possible there as the, as the bride before the bridegroom, that uh, he wins me over, he rescues me, he provides for me. So bringing my openness of heart into that context is a, is a way to connect with him personally. And, and the amazing thing about the Mass is I can be having this intimate mo moment of, you know, spousal union. The person next to me is weeping over their brokenness that's like that's finding his salvation uh, or, or another person who's just amazed like a little child and seeing you know either in their imagination the reality of angels and saints present you know so all of that can be happening in the same mass all sitting in the same pew that's, a, that's the that's the wonder of the mass that we can be having these very personal encounters together very differently according to my, my own relationship with him where where my heart is mm -hmm. yeah that's so beautiful well father while, while we wrap up um i was just thinking about one more question i know i don't want to either <laughs> so maybe when father writes his new book we'll have to have him back on <laughs> um and we'll book it for two hours uh, for uh we have a lot of listeners that are um you know, as we had kind of talked about before, really just in the trenches of life, they are trying to live this Catholic faith. They're trying to have like, like an authentic relationship with the Lord. And every day is just a battle. Um, do you have any words of encouragement um, for our listeners who are just honestly, uh, yeah, just trying to do the thing every day? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, that's a, it's a beautiful thing, first of all. I guess uh, something, a dynamic that can happen in those kinds of settings is some strong parts of us can take over. Uh, duty and responsibility, determination and perseverance, which are great. But sometimes we can, we can press into that so much that we really suppress some other parts of us that have pain, but also have joy. And we can really end up pushing down some of the things that, um, that are really, really essential to life. And, and, and some of that is the pain. You know, if you're in the grind, as you were kind of describing it, you can start to have feelings like, why, why do I have to work so hard? Where is God in this? Why isn't he showing up for me? Why is everything going wrong in my life? Why isn't anybody paying attention to me? And that can tap into some, some old stuff for us where uh, sometimes, you know, the, the parents were real busy, second job, they're trying so hard to provide. And, and then I got to work twice as hard and I don't have the chance just to be a kid, just to be held, just to be loved. And, and so there can be pain that's there as well. And so I guess I, I just would really encourage somebody who's really pressing in just to make sure that you're leaving room for the pain, the tears to be held, that you're also savoring the joys. That's where a little bit of gratitude, you have to be careful about that, that that doesn't become another duty. Got to do the thing. Got to do the thing. I'm supposed to be grateful. <laughs> Must be grateful. Where is your gratitude list? <laughs> right. right. So, no, not as another task, but just to say, you know, Sometimes we can we can come back into that. And then also, it's really important to be able to share these things. You know, that's uh, obviously the conversation about spiritual direction is a little bit more in that space. But um, but with a spouse, with a good friend to have permission to say, like, it's really hard. I'm having a really hard time. Having four kids is a lot more than I thought it would be. I, I know a family here that had five under the age of four and then had twins. No, had four under the age of four and then had triplets. So they had seven wow. under four. Like, wow. what in the world? You know, <laughs> like you're entitled to protest at that point. Like, God, what do you, who do you think we are? What do you think we can do? Saints. So, yeah, that's, that's yeah, like, that's like well, auto-beatification right there. That, that can become the kind of pro I'm supposed to be a saint. God must think I am a saint. I better become one. Right? And that can be this heavy thing. Yeah. We need permission to be overwhelmed. We need permission <laughs> to like not have enough. We need permission to, to be able to just weep with God and like cry yeah. out to him. And, and we'll find permission to do that with him when we also can do that with other human beings and, and a spiritual director, a confessor, a spiritual friend, a spouse, a, a parent, a, you know, so uh, th those kinds of things, having that in the human context and then bringing that into prayer and yeah, feel overwhelmed, cry out, be hurting. Uh, that's a good place to be. That's great prayer. Honesty, be angry and, and, and frustrated at what's going on and, and cry that out to him. That's where the relationship is real. And, and, and we want that relationship to be real. And, and if we have some parts that are anxious that God is going to get angry that I'm angry because dad was always angry that I'm, I was angry and I never had permission to really, well, that's, that's something we need to work through. And, and counseling also might be a good place to, to work through some things so that we can really bring our hearts before the Lord and discover the love, the unconditional love, the real supportive love 
that he really does have for us. So, um, that, so that's no, that was a particularly heavy, you know, kind of application of your question. You know, sometimes we're just we're in the grind, and I guess uh, maybe an easier thing if it connects is like, well, then let God also thank you, and be grateful that you are persevering. You're trying really hard. You've stuck with it. It is a grind, and you've remained faithful. Then you have permission to feel good about that. You're running the race, and you're going to get to the finish line. It's it won't be long now. I, it's one of Ignatius's rules. You know, he's like consolation's right around the corner. It feels like it's just desolation all the time, and and desolation is always saying to us, "I've always been here, and I'll always be here." But the truth is, consolation. Yeah, right. Consolation's right around the corner. And when the consolation touches, it's like the desolation never existed. I mean, it's just gone. And so, so just, you know, getting the support, being with people, allowing the Lord to love you in that place and thank you for being faithful and the encouragement. Consolation's right around the corner. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Uh, for all of our listeners, we will put links down below for the Emmaus Academy. Uh, we also have a code for 20% off uh, the personal prayer book uh, from the St. Paul Center. And so I really encourage that every person dives this deep. Yeah. Um, this is definitely I, not the beginning. This is a, a place that you can really go deep with the Lord. Um, yeah, it's been a gift to us. And so we pray that it can be a gift to our listeners yeah. as well. And thank you so much, Father Boniface, mm -hmm. for coming on the show. For our listeners, we are praying for you guys until next time. And uh, Father, could you give our listeners a blessing? Absolutely. And thanks for having me on. You're just a joy to talk with. And I think, uh, I, I think it's so beautiful, your relationship as uh, a visual for uh, you know, how God wants us to draw closer to him as well. So thanks for witnessing that for us being vulnerable and sharing your, your lives, your hearts, your love with us. So, Heavenly Father, fill our listeners and our beautiful hosts with your grace and your love. Continue to draw all of us more deeply into your embrace and to an intimate union with you. Transform us to become the saints, the living embodiments of your divine love that you have made us to be, each in our own unique way. And pour out your blessing on all who are watching and listening in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.